Welcome. You are listening to a recording provided for the use of the blind and print impaired. Materials or items read on Airs LA are the copyright property of the original authors and publishers. No unauthorized use or duplication is permitted. I'm Ernesto Sambrano. Today's article is by Zach Barron from the March 2022 edition of GQ. Can Francis Ford Coppola make it in Hollywood? Part 2. Please note, this is a men's magazine and, as such, may include offensive topics or language. At one point during our conversations, Coppola became concerned that he had become too digressive, that he had wandered away from the point, which is something he does, after a fashion. He will be reminded of something that can only be explained in reference to the history of North Korea, or humankind's first king, Sargon, according to Coppola, or the work of Hermann Hesse. Few men in history have done more for audiences than Coppola, and so he's used to getting a certain amount of leeway. He will get to the point when he's ready, but he also knows time is finite, that I can't stay on his property forever. So here's what we're going to do now, if I may, he said, trying to get us back on task. Let's do the format where you just ask me questions, and I'll try to answer them without talking too much, because I'm a friendly guy, and I'll just talk to you about stuff. Great, I said, but I want you to get what you came here to get. I'm getting what I came here to get, I said. Okay, well you ask me questions and I'll answer them. Okay, I said. The Godfather started off as a studio project that had nothing to do with you. Did it become personal to you in the end? Well, I believe that. I believe. I'm going to have to say this fast. I once read a Balzac article. I wish I could find it, but it's not published, and I don't know where the book is. I think this was Coppola's way of telling me he owns, or once owned, an unpublished work by Balzac. But people said, oh, these young people are stealing your stuff, to Balzac. And Balzac said, that's why I wrote it. I want them to take everything, whatever I have. They're welcome, these young authors. Take all you want. One, because it really can't come out like me because each one of them is an individual and it's going to come out like them. So they can't steal it. They can appropriate it, but it's going to come out through them. And number two, it gives me immortality. So whatever I do, if young people take it, are influenced by it, and so and so, it's great. Because that then makes me part of their work. And I go on. So what was your question? At another point, Coppola decided I had been too easy on him. Ask me the most provocative question you think you could possibly ask me. I thought about it for a moment. In certain histories of the movie industry in the 70s, such as Peter Bezkind's Easy Riders, Raging Bulls, you are depicted as a cyberatic king, pasting up million-dollar royalty checks from The Godfather around the San Francisco editing suite you shared with George Lucas, flying around on a private jet, gathering more houses and more women to yourself with each titanically successful year. Does that depiction ring true for you? I didn't have a life like that, Coppola answered. I didn't have a private plane at that time. I got a private plane later and it was only because of money I had made from something other than movies. So you were not like some Roman emperor in the 70s? No, never. And even now I'm not like that. I wasn't a lot different than I am now. I always liked kids. I was a good camp counselor, he grinned. I was a great camp counselor. It was December when we talked, and Steven Spielberg was about to open his newest film, West Side Story, in theaters across the country. Coppola had not seen the movie, he told me. But he was so excited to do so that he was planning on not just going to his local Napa movie theater to see it when it opened on Friday, but also speaking in front of whoever was there before the film to convey his enthusiasm. To remind them of the thrill about going to a movie theater, Coppola said. I want West Side Story to do incredible business, to remind people that the theater debut is much more important than the so-called streaming. Streaming is just home video. Coppola loves movies, but does not particularly recognize or enjoy the modern movie industry. 
There used to be studio films, he said. Now there are Marvel pictures. And what is a Marvel picture? A Marvel picture is one prototype movie that is made over and over and over and over and over again to look different. Even the talented people. You could take Dune, made by Denis Villeneuve, an extremely talented, gifted artist. And you could take No Time to Die, directed by Gary... Gary Fukunaga. Gary Fukunaga, extremely gifted, talented, beautiful artist. And you could take both those movies, and you and I could go and pull the same sequence out of both of them and put them together. The same sequence where the cars all crash into each other. They all have that stuff in it, and they almost have to have it, if they're going to justify their budget. And that's the good films, and the talented filmmakers. Unlike most people who complain about the current state of Hollywood, Coppola has tried many times over the years to actually change it, or even escape it entirely. At the end of the 70s, after he successfully financed Apocalypse Now himself, and the movie proved to be a hit, Coppola decided to purchase a lot in Los Angeles and open his own studio which he once again called Zoetrope. The plan was to have actors on contract, who were taught how to fence and how to dance and how to everything, and to use the newest possible digital technology. Coppola would cut out the studios and their financing and do it himself. But the very first film he made for Zoetrope Studios, 1982's One from the Heart, was a commercial debacle. Coppola spent $26 million of his own money to make it and lost every cent. The lot was sold. Dreams are not long, Coppola told me. I'll tell you something about dreams. Dreams don't have time. This was a dark period in Coppola's life. It was traumatic, he said. I was very depressed. I was very heartbroken. I was embarrassed for my wife because she couldn't get any credit at the grocery store. I felt I had fallen from grace, that I was a failure. He spent the rest of the decade working on the studio fair he'd been trying to liberate himself from in order to pay back debt that he had accrued, with varied success. Some of these movies... The pair of S.E. Hinton adaptations Coppola directed, Rumblefish, and The Outsiders, 1986's Peggy Sue Got Married, have aged better than others. But he kept working, even, improbably, through 1987's Gardens of Stone, during which Coppola lost his eldest son, Giancarlo, in a freak accident. Nothing I have ever experienced in my life comes even close to that profound thing, he said. Still, Coppola finished Gardens of Stone, and kept going all the way through 1997's The Rainmaker before finally stepping back from filmmaking for a time. I always felt I didn't leave the movie business, he said. The movie business left me. It went another direction, toward sequels and pre-existing IP, and away from brand-name directors like Coppola. So the movie business changed. As it changed, it was less interesting to me. I began to focus more on my own personal cinema dreams. This, of course, is the paradox of Coppola's career that for all his success, he has, to some extent, been waiting to make his own films, rather than someone else's, for practically his entire life. I always tell my kids, like Sophia, let your films be personal. Always make it as personal as you can, because you are a miracle, that you're even alive. Then your art will be a miracle because it reflects stuff from someone who there is no other one like that. Whereas if you're part of a school, or, yeah, I'm going to make a Marvel picture, and that's the formula, and I get it, and I'll do my best. Sure, it will still have your individuality, but as art, do that and do something else. But if you're going to make art, let it be personal. Let it be very personal to you. As for Coppola and his break from movie making, well, he'd paid back the bank. He found himself increasingly invested in making wine. He'd owned vineyards in Napa for years, but over time the business became less and less like a hobby and more and more like another career itself as he became fascinated with how to improve and further build on what he already had. 
He didn't have to work for a living, so I became very interested in other topics, he told me. Where could cinema go? I knew it was going to go somewhere. In the old chateau at Inglenook, there are tasting rooms on the first floor, where at Christmas, during non-pandemic times, the Coppola's host a holiday reception for the town, like benevolent nobles. There is what used to be called the library, and is now called the Athenaeum. Coppola's extensive jazz record collection is in one corner, where a painting of his also hangs. There is framed sheet music from Coppola's maternal grandfather, Francesco Panino, and there are many cozy armchairs, where Coppola and I sat one morning and talked. I was still trying to figure out, among other things, what Megalopolis was actually about, and whether he was really actually going to make it. It's a love story, Coppola said, trying again. A woman is divided between loyalties to two men, but not only two men. Each man comes with a philosophical principle. One is her father who raised her, who taught her Latin on his lap, and is devoted to a much more classical view of society, the Marcus Aurelius kind of view. The other one, who is the lover, is the enemy of the father, but is dedicated to a much more progressive, let's leap into the future, let's leap all over this garbage that has contaminated humanity for 10,000 years. Let's find what we really are, which are an enlightened, friendly, joyous species. I suggested to Coppola that his ambitions for the film, along with its subject matter, sounded notably optimistic for a filmmaker who was best known for a quartet of films about various human failings, greed, paranoia, corruption, war. Coppola agreed, but he said he could never really remember a time in his movie-making career when he was making exactly the kind of thing he really wanted to make. Back when he was directing his most renowned films, he said, I was so busy trying to survive and support my family and have a successful career as a movie director and not have the profound fall from grace that I saw myself as. I made this big movie, The Godfather, and the next thing I know, I'm making all these pictures that maybe are embarrassing. And of course I criticized myself. But he also sought out challenges, pictures I didn't know how to make, as he puts it now, in order to learn. If I just had made a career of 15 mafioso movies, Coppola said, I would be very rich, but I wouldn't know as much as I do now. Now I'm still rich, but I learned more. When Coppola came back from his filmmaking hiatus, it was to make the kind of idiosyncratic, personal movies he'd been talking about making from the beginning. 2007's nearly incomprehensible Youth Without Youth an investigation of two of Coppola's long-term fascinations, consciousness and time, a charming noir in 2009's Tetro, and a 2011 Roger Corman-style horror film he shot in part right here in Napa called Twixt. None of them demanded the budget or commensurate audience that Megalopolis would seem to demand to be successful. So, was he really going to spend all that money? I wondered, where would it actually come from? Well, if I were Disney, or if I were Paramount, or if I were Netflix, Coppola said, and I had to raise $120 million, I had to start saying yes and paying people. How would I do it? They all do it one way. You have a line of credit, okay? I have a line of credit. You spent years paying the bank back for one from the heart. It's a gamble, right? To go into debt to make a movie? A gamble for what? What's at stake for me? I don't know. That's what I'm asking. Even one from the heart. You'd be amazed at how many people are still looking at it. And how many films did one from the heart influence? I meant more of the financial impact it had on you. You lost a lot. I couldn't care less about the financial impact whatsoever. It means nothing to me. You have a big family. Is everyone on board with this plan? Well, it's not as if $120 million is the extent of what I have. I have bequeathed much to all my children. And then they themselves, the greatest thing I bequeathed to my children, is their know-how and their talent. Sophia is not going to have a problem. 
Roman's not going to have a problem. They're all very capable. And they have Inglenook, where we are. There's no debt on this place. None. So, no. Last year, he sold a significant piece of his wine empire so that he could use a percentage of the sale as collateral for the line of credit to finally make Megalopolis. If I'm going to invest $120 million of my own money, which I've already done basically, I have it there, waiting to be written to make it. I want to have a good result for humanity. Do you think of this film as the next film you'll make, or the last film you'll make? I have no idea. I had an uncle who died. My father's brother died at 103 almost. He had all his marbles. He was writing operas. He was reading in French all of Prost. You could talk to him. He was 102. And you could talk to him on any subject. He had a great memory. He had lived a life and knew everything about music. So I'm 82. I could well live to be 100 or thereabouts. Say that means roughly I could well have 20 years of productivity. Coppola started doing math in his chair. Say I've got another 20 years of productive life. Well, if I was an insurance company, I'd say, well, just for the hell of it, let's cut that in half. Okay, I have 10 years of active life. That means I'm going to die at 92. Well, that would be a wonderful long life. No one could complain. So what can I accomplish? This movie is going to take me easily three years to make. So figure that takes us to 2025, he said. Now if I'm still kicking, I'll no doubt want to do this movie that I had abandoned before this, called Distant Vision. A live cinema project, Coppola started around 2015, about three generations of an Italian-American family not unlike his own, told in parallel with the story of the birth of television and what followed. That's what you would do after? Yeah, and what would I do after that? Well, how much time do I have? I don't know. You want to give me another five years? I'm sure I'll dream of something to do. Before I left, Coppola wanted to show me something, a different project, one that he's been working on for a few years now. Coppola is a filmmaker first, of course, but the business of making wine has taken up more and more of his time over the years. There are, he told me, 120 distinct growing areas of grapes on his property. On most vineyards, the fruit from these unique parcels of grapes go into far fewer fermenters where they mix. But what if, Coppola wondered, you could build 120 fermenters, one for each growing area, and in doing so, learn which ones are truly great, which are average, and so on. The only limit was space in the neighbors, who probably would not take kindly to a giant fermenter plant being built anywhere they could see it. So, Coppola decided, we'll build it underground. He loaded me into the leaf and drove over to the entrance of what is still a construction site. Guys in hard hats stood out front on a patch of dusty concrete. Inside it looked like the Hadron Collider, tanks and tunnels stretching out as far as the eye could see. If you could imagine this was a baseball stadium here, Coppola said, orienting me. This is home plate. So you would have home plate, first base, second base, third base. So the 120 fermenters are all going to go on either side. The space was cavernous. It boggled the mind. We stood there taking it in. And then he walked me back to the car. I'm so proud of this because I think the biggest thrill in life is to have a dream or imagine something and then get to see it be real, Coppola said. There is nothing like that. You've had that happen more often than most people have. Yeah. But the more far out it is, the more thrilling it is. I mean, this was such a crazy idea. When I said we'd do it this way, I can't tell you the reaction. It was not positive? Well, it was the other one I get. It sounds great, but how are you going to really do it? Which is something you've heard a lot in life. Coppola threw the car in reverse. I hear it all the time, he said. That brings us to the end of today's article. Can Francis Ford Coppola make it in Hollywood? Part 2. 
If you want to learn more about Airs LA and the types of programs we offer, follow us by clicking on any of the social media links at the top of our webpages. If you like what you see or hear, please click the like button. This podcast is for the sole use of our blind, low vision, and print impaired listeners. In and authorized use is prohibited. I'm Ernesto Sambrano, and I'll be back soon with another article. Thanks for listening.